This episode of Drew Blood's Dark Tales is brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef is your ticket to eating well, friends. Whatever your preferences, whatever your lifestyle. Green Chef delivers delicious ingredients and chef-inspired recipes directly to your door to make healthy eating convenient. I'm talking dinner in 30 minutes and lunch in 10. Looking to make a change for the better? Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well. Go to greenchef.com slash 60drewblood and use code 60drewblood to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's greenchef.com slash 60drewblood. Code 60drewblood and you'll get 60% off plus 20% off for two months on the number one meal kit for eating well. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome back, friends. I know you're all wondering about this Billy Blanks thing, so let's address the elephant in the room. He sucker punched me. Alright, there. I wasn't ready, and he knew it. I know I told him he could take the first swing, Chester, but the prick did some karate shit, and I didn't even see it coming. Whatever. I'm done with this fitness shit. Let's head in, friends. The only exercise I'm doing from here on out is 12-ounce curls. Shit. Mmm. That's better. Alright, smoke them if you got them and drink those glasses to the bottom, y'all. Cause old Drew Blood has a tale to tell. Oh, hey. I didn't see you there. You know, Drew Blood's Dark Tales is only one of the many shows on this network you could be listening to. We hope you'll subscribe to our entire lineup, including Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, Fear from the Heartland, and Horror Hill. All available on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Also, visit simplyscarypodcast.com to become a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you get our entire catalog ad-free and available to download or stream. A bargain. And now, back to the show. So tonight, we're joined by author Thomas O. by way of our friends at Velox Books. 
He's the author of two books on Amazon, also available in audiobook, performed by Mr. Rigamarole there. But for our purposes and without further delay, I give you, from author Thomas O. And the universe blinked. It was nearly 5 a.m., and my son Frederick still wasn't back from the dead. It will happen early, Gabriella had promised me. You'll be able to spend most of the day with him. I was shaky, nervous. What if he doesn't remember me? What if something goes wrong? But what could go wrong? I'd done my part. Paid for this day in blood and I had been assured that everything would work out smoothly. Even though he had passed away when he was five, he would be coming back to me from a time when he was a three-year-old. What did he like to do at that age? The park, the zoo, the merry-go-round? Actually, all of those, if I remembered correctly. I stayed in my bedroom as instructed. Listen for him. I'd been told. You'll hear him waking up in his bed. He'll call to you. His bedroom, which had been stripped bare in the years after his death, had been hurriedly slapped back together as best as I could remember. His toddler bed was pulled from the garage rafters. His nightstand and lamp reclaimed from a dusty corner in the attic, and some toys were retrieved from the moth-eaten boxes in the hall closet. As the first morning rays of sunlight poked their way through the crack between the curtains, I heard a small body tossing and turning in the other room. I held my breath. Daddy? Mommy? I bolted from my bed, almost tripping over my own feet in my haste to get to his bedroom. And there he was. Real. His yawn turned into a smile as he saw me enter the room. Without hesitating, I grabbed him in a big bear hug. Good morning, Daddy. His voice sounded so young, so cute. Frederick was exactly as I remembered him. His voice wavered a bit as he glanced around the room. Hey, where's Bossy at? Bossy? I paused and thought for a second. Oh, Bossy Bear, he's in the wash. He got dirty last night. It was a live course. Bossy was long gone. Frederick contemplated this development and then nodded his head as if to say okay. He looked around the rest of his room. Things were not as they were supposed to be. I had done my best, but of course the room wouldn't be exactly as Frederick was used to. Thankfully, he didn't seem overly concerned about it. Not wanting to waste a single moment of the day. I picked him up and held him close. We're going to the zoo today, I said. And then we'll go to the park. We're going to have a lot of fun, just you and me. What about mommy? She's at work. She has to be there all day. This was the second line less than a minute. I didn't even know where my ex-wife was living, much less what her work schedule was. I made him his favorite breakfast scrambled eggs with some cheese on top. He gobbled them up. Since it was still early, we cuddled up on the couch after breakfast, where I read some of his favorite books to him. Later that morning, we drove to the zoo. 
We roared at the lions, beat our chests at the monkeys, and made faces at the bears. We fed the goats and rode the merry-go-round, and as many times as he wanted. Frederick loved every second of it. I took him home for lunch and a nap. I almost hated to let him fall asleep knowing this was the only day I'd have with him. But I remembered how cranky he'd get, so I let him doze on the couch for a bit. In the afternoon, we went to the park. Not our local park, mind you, but the big one that had the giant dinosaur-shaped climbing structures. We ascended them together. They must have seemed like mountains to him. He laughed in glee as we got to the top. For dinner, we had meatballs and spaghetti, his favorite meal. Ice cream was for dessert, and there was no reason not to let him have a second bowl. He had his bath, and then we plopped onto his bed where I read books to him. He started yawning. Our day was coming to a close. I blinked my eyes to fight back the tears. Frederick? I said. He looked up at me. I want you to always remember that I love you. No matter where you're at, I love you. Okay. He said. I love you too. I stroked his hair as he yawned again. His eyelids fluttered a few times and then slowly came together. After he fell asleep, I continued to hold him. Soon I fell asleep too. I woke up a little after midnight. I was alone and the house was cold and cavernous. I fetched my phone from my pocket and sent a text to Gabriella. I want one more. I'd made one little mistake that I didn't even realize at the time. My neighbor Emmett had seen us leaving the house on our way to the zoo. The next day I ran into him as I dragged my trash can out to the curb. Good morning, he said, along with the wave of his hand. I looked up reluctantly. Hey, Emmett. At one point, he and I had been close friends. But after Frederick died and I began isolating myself, we drifted apart. How's everything going? He said. It seems like we haven't talked for ages. Everything's fine. I replied, trying my best to sound polite yet uninterested at the same time. I saw you had a child over yesterday. I froze, immediately understanding the direction this conversation was about to head. I decided to answer the question he was thinking before he even asked it. It was my sister's kid. Looks a lot like Freddy did, no? Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. This was followed by an awkward silence while I looked Emmett right in the eyes. This was a man who, at one point several years earlier, I could have confided in. Heck, he was Frederick's godfather. Emmett, I just lied to you right now. That wasn't my nephew. That was Frederick himself. I could see Emmett's confusion etch itself in the lines of his brow. What do you mean? How many meaningless days do you think you've lived through? I'm talking about days that you don't even remember. Days that have no impact whatsoever on what happens to you for the rest of your life. I'm not really sure, 
A whole lot, I guess, he replied. Well, just imagine if someone could be pulled out from one of those past meaningless days and brought into the present, and you could spend a day with them. Wouldn't that be great? Emmett nodded his head. And then, I continued, they would be sent back, but it wouldn't affect anything in the past because it was a meaningless day to begin with. I'm not sure what you're getting at. I decided to let him off the hook with a chuckle. <laughs> Sorry, Emmett. That was just a bad joke. He was my nephew, nothing more to it than that. My phone buzzed in my pocket. It had certainly taken her long enough to respond. See you around, Emmett, I said as I turned and headed back into my house. I fished in my pocket and checked the text message from Gabriella. Same cost. I'd have to kill again. I was hoping the second time would be easier. Gabriella owned and ran a small restaurant. She was half my age, but twice as smart and probably four times as dangerous. I went to see her before the evening service so that the restaurant would be empty. I entered shortly after 3 p.m. and took a booth. She saw me and sat down across from me. The day went well, it seems, she said with a hint of arrogance. Yeah, as good as I'd hoped for. Gabriella glanced over at the entrance to make sure nobody else was about to enter the restaurant, and then reached through the neckline of her shirt and pulled out a ruby amulet, which was held around her neck by a thin chain. She held it tight in her hand while offering me her other hand. Let's find the meaningless day she said. I reached out and grabbed her left hand as her eyes closed. Within a moment, a faint glow emanated from the gaps between the fingers of her right hand. Only the sound of our breathing filled the restaurant as I waited for her to find a day. Eventually, she started talking. I can see a day. He's almost three years old. You were at work. Your wife stayed with him. He played with his car collection and showed you his favorite truck when you returned home. But you didn't really look at it. You had spaghetti for dinner. Do you remember? Of course I don't. Okay, that's where we'll pull him from. And now for your payment. She reached down into her apron pocket and pulled out a photograph. The name and address are on the back, she said, as she slid it across the table to me. I glanced at the photo. A man, middle-aged and unremarkable. I couldn't imagine why anyone would want him dead, but it didn't really matter. Gabriella apparently had a hit list she was working off of, and this guy was next. I didn't know where this list had come from, but I figured anyone whose name was on it had done something to deserve it. I put the photo in my shirt pocket and looked back at Gabriella. Will he remember our days together? After he goes back, will he have any idea that he's been sent into the future? He won't have any specific memories. He can't. Nothing that happens now can affect the past but it will all become part of the fabric of who he is, or was. 
That's how my father explained it to me anyway. I patted my shirt pocket. I have a job to do. I'll let you know when it's done. Aiden Halford was the name of my next victim. He lived about ten miles away. The next night, I drove over there and parked a block away from his house, walking the rest of the way. This episode of Drew Blood's Dark Tales is brought to you by Green Chef. Hey, amigos. I've learned a few lessons from this whole Billy Blanks thing. Firstly, doing Thai bow videos for 15 minutes a day does not make you a trained killer. Second, if you hope to be doing spin kicks, then you'd better be eating well. I mean nutritious, organic, wholesome foods. Green Chef is a CCOF certified meal kit company that makes eating well easy for everyone, no matter your lifestyle. Keto, vegetarian, gluten-free, or even folks just looking to eat more balanced meals or get good at spin kicks. With Green Chef, you'll never find artificial colors, high fructose corn syrup, none of that stuff. Their chicken is antibiotic and hormone-free. None of those Billy Blanks-looking bodybuilder birds. Can't believe I said that on my first try. And they've got all sorts of unique farm-fresh ingredients like figs, dates, and artichokes, and sustainably sourced seafood. Organic, of course. No mad scientists at Green Chef. Mad scientists need not apply. You've heard of HelloFresh, right? My old pals. Well, Green Chef is owned by HelloFresh, so the system is similar. Each week, you'll choose from 80-plus delicious options, including their new calorie-smart recipes and wellness bundles. You can customize your meals to fit whatever lifestyle you're into, with preferences like keto, plant-based, Mediterranean, gut and brain health, calorie-smart, quick and easy, protein-packed, and gluten-free. I love Green Chef, friends. How could I not? They deliver chef-inspired delicious ingredients and recipes right to my door. It's convenient, it's healthy, and everyone who comes over to eat thinks I'm a star chef. Maybe I am a star chef. I ought to have one of those fancy aprons. Maybe a Drew Blood apron. I gotta check the merch side and see if we have those. Anyway, go to greenchef.com slash 60drewblood and use code 60drewblood to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's greenchef.com slash 60drewblood, code 60drewblood, and you'll get 60% off plus 20% off for two months on the number one meal kit for eating well. Thanks for your support, friends, and for supporting our valuable sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When I got to the home, it was completely unlit, as if nobody was home. A quick visual scan of the area showed no sign of surveillance cameras. I hadn't necessarily intended on doing the deed right then. Mostly, I was just checking the place out, but it looked like I might have a good opportunity. There were no street lights, and the houses were spaced far apart. I could see no meaningful security measures in place at all. Aiden Halford was not expecting this. I hid along the side of the house, figuring that I'd give him an hour. If he came back within that time, and he was alone, he would die. Twenty minutes later, my plan bore fruit. Two minivan headlights came from down the street and turned into the driveway. From my position on the side of the house, I could see that my mark was the driver. Aside from him, the vehicle was empty. Aiden's car crept slowly up the driveway. A few moments later, he killed the engine and got out of the car. At the same time, I stepped out purposefully from the side of the house. He gasped at the sight of me pulling a length of cord from my back pocket as I sprang toward him. This guy. He looked like an average-born suburbanite. Not the kind of dirtbag I was hoping for. But still, he was on Gabriella's hit list. He must have done something to deserve this. Giving him no chance to scream, I raised my hands and lunged at him. The cord fit around his neck perfectly, like it belonged there the whole time. His eyes widened as my muscles tensed up and drew the cord taut around his throat. He put up a bit of a struggle, scratching and clawing, but I outweighed him by at least a hundred pounds and he didn't last too long before he fell to the ground lifeless. I surveyed the area one final time to see if I was still in the clear. It was at this point that I noticed a child's car seat strapped into the car. I stepped closer and saw a peacefully sleeping little girl belted snugly into the seat. My God, how could I have missed that? I had the brief thought that maybe I should take the child out of her seat and put her someplace safe. But then I realized that she was already in as safe a place as I could realistically leave her. Someone would come along eventually and discover both her and her dead father. She would be okay. It was time for me to leave, and so I stepped away from the scene and blended back into the night. When I got home... I burned a photo of Aiden Halford in my fireplace, and then I threw up. You told me all these people on your list were dirtbags. You know, the kind of people who deserve what they had coming to them. I yelled as Gabriella emerged from the back of the restaurant. She looked around furiously as she approached my booth. The restaurant was empty, but that didn't stop her from shushing me. Keep it down, she implored. She sat next to me, 
I assure you, they all deserve to have you come knocking at their door. Yeah, but this guy seemed like some random suburban dad. Gabriella looked disappointed with me. Appearances can be deceiving. Just because someone doesn't look harmless doesn't mean they can't rip your face off. Figuratively speaking, of course, she said. I wasn't even listening to her excuses. Just give me what you owe me and then we're done. Gabriella's tone softened. I'm sorry. I guess this time was a lot harder than the first. Maybe I should have given you a different target. My God, what have I done? I asked. You've earned yourself another day with your dead son. That's what you've done. You've earned a chance to hear him laugh. A chance to tell him you love him one last time. That's what you should be focusing on. I'm going to make it count. I won't be back here. She smiled knowingly. Get a good night's rest if you can. He'll be there when you wake up in the morning. I went home. Everything from his last visit was still set up. He'd be a bit younger this time, but not by much. I planned out a great day. There was a little amusement park not too far away that was geared towards small children. The perfect place to go. It would make for an unforgettable final day. The first part of the morning went as planned. I woke up and hurried to his bedroom and hugged him as if it had been years since I'd seen him last, though it had only been a few days. We ate breakfast and had a little playtime at home. Once we were ready to leave, we walked out to the car and I placed Frederick in his car seat. As I pulled his belt tight, I heard Emmett's voice behind me. Good morning. Shit. Good morning, Emmett, I said as I stood upright positioning myself to block Frederick from his view. Emmett walked over from his yard without seeming to notice Frederick. Wow, I actually get to talk to you two times in the same week. I'm glad you're finally starting to get out of your house. Yeah, I guess I've been shutting myself away for too long now. Hey, you should come over for dinner tonight, he offered with a sudden burst of energy. We're going to be barbecuing. We'd love to see you again. It'd be like old times. Thank you, but tonight's not good. Emmett's voice turned serious. It's been too long. We miss you. You've got to start living again. I opened my mouth to speak when Frederick beat me to it. Hi, Emmett. He said with a wave. Emmett peered around me into the vehicle. His face scrunched up as he saw the child in my car. Hey there, little guy. You're the one I saw the other day. Frederick smiled in return. We're going to ride the train, he said. Emmett started to respond. Well, it sounds like you're going to have a good... <laughs> but he couldn't finish his sentence. Instead, he gasped and started grabbing at his chest. I don't feel so well, he puffed. I grabbed his elbow to steady him. Can you walk? Let's get you a seat, I said as I guided him up his driveway and over to a bench on his porch, all the while yelling out for his wife, Mona. As soon as he sat down, he seemed to feel a little better. His breathing returned to normal and the color came back to his face. 
Mona came out of the house after hearing the commotion. Emmett, are you okay? Uh, I think so. I'm not sure what happened. I should call 911, Mona said, unconvinced. No, I think I'm okay. I stayed with Emmett for a few minutes. Thankfully, his recovery from the malaise was as quick as his onset. Once I was sure he was doing okay, I turned to Mona. It looks like he's doing better, but keep an eye on him for now. Mona agreed, and I excused myself as politely as I could. I'd already wasted too many precious minutes, and I just wanted to get the heck out of there. Take care, both of you, I said as I backed away. Emmett glanced over to my car where Frederick was still strapped into his seat, and oddly enough, he shuddered, as if a cold wind had just chilled him. What's... what's going on? he asked. I didn't answer. I was already halfway down the driveway anyway. I gave them a wave and returned to my car. A small part of me felt like a horrible friend, abandoning Emmett when he probably could have used me the most. But each second of this day was valuable, and I'd paid far too much to have any of them wasted. Frederick and I resumed our day and we both had a blast. Every laugh and giggle that emanated from him was pressed into my mind where I kept it safe. We ended the night at home with me reading him all his favorite stories. Would you like another? I kept asking him. He happily accepted each time until he finally got drowsy, giving big yawns as I worked my way through the last few pages. This was it my last chance to tell him how much I loved him. Frederick, I want you to always remember that. The sudden sound of shattering glass broke my train of thought. Someone was breaking in through a window. I shot up and ran down the stairs, only to see Emmett standing in the entryway. His hands, arms, and legs were all bloodied and cut from smashing through the window and climbing inside. Emmett, what the hell's going on? I demanded. It's not right. Something's not right, he stammered. He was shaking uncontrollably. Things aren't okay, he muttered. No, everything's okay, I assured him as I guided him to the couch and sat him down. Stay here. Let me get Mona over here. I ran next door and got Mona, who followed me back to my house. We tended to his wounds. Fortunately, none of the cuts were deep enough to cause serious bleeding. However, his mental status didn't seem to get any better. He just kept mumbling that everything was off and wrong. Finally, Mona talked him into following her back home, assuring me that she would have him checked out at the emergency room. As soon as they were gone, my concern for Emmett faded as I ran up the stairs, desperately hoping to get in my last moments with Frederick before he either fell asleep or worse, simply disappeared. When I made it to his doorway, I saw that his bed was empty. He was gone, and the house was freezing cold. I felt lonelier than ever. God damn Emmett. He'd ruined my last moments with Frederick. I couldn't let it end that way. I pulled my phone from my pocket and called Gabriella. 
She answered without even bothering to say hello. I thought I might hear from you again. One more, but make it someone awful, not some random soccer dad. You're breaking up, she said. I can't hear you through the static. Come see me in a couple of days. Then she hung up. Sitting across from me in the booth of her restaurant, Gabriella pushed a photograph toward me. He's the worst of the bunch. Name and address are on the back. I glanced down at the photo. The guy didn't look so bad. I mean, there was nothing about his appearance that screamed horrible person. Are you sure? Yeah. Drunk driver. Killed a mother and child. And that was after his license had already been taken away for earlier drunk driving arrests. The guy served only three years in prison and was completely unrepentant. He had a pretty good lawyer, apparently. Maybe I should go after the lawyer, I said drolly. Do that on your own time. The lawyer's not on my list, she said sternly. What is this list of yours anyway? Just a bunch of drunk drivers? No, it's not that at all. Gabriella held up the photo. This man isn't on my list because he's a drunk driver. The fact that he killed anyone at all is unrelated to my needs. But it's helpful if it makes things easier for you. Beyond that, I think the payment you're receiving is substantial enough for you not to ask any more questions. Of course, I said. Now, about my payment... She retrieved her amulet and held out her hands. Let's find another meaningless day. I have to admit that after my second murder, my faith in Gabriella had been shaken. Why I even trusted her to begin with, I'm not sure. Maybe I just wanted my son back so badly that I lost myself for a while. This time, I wasn't about to trust her until I did some research of my own. I went to the library to use their computer. I was quickly becoming a mass murderer, so I figured it would be better to use a public computer that couldn't be traced back to me personally. The man's name was Jackson Rose, and he was indeed a total piece of shit. In addition to his drunk driving murders, he had several arrests for spousal abuse and child endangerment. Heck, this was someone I might have even killed for free. I made sure to clear my search history and wipe the keyboard clean before leaving. When I returned to my house, I saw a bookish, mousy little man standing in my front yard, trying to get a look into one of my living room windows. Who the hell was this? I parked the car and got out slowly, my agitation growing. Who are you? I demanded of him. He fumbled for his words. Um, do, do you live here? I nodded my head. Yes, and whatever you're selling or whatever the hell you think you're doing, I don't want any part of it. Leave. I must have outweighed the guy by 150 pounds. Nonetheless, I stood as tall as possible to increase my intimidation factor. I'm sorry to bother you, but this house seems to be the focal point of a huge disruption. I felt it twice now. I walked past the man toward my front door. I wouldn't know anything about that. Get the hell out of here. Last warning. Please. 
he begged. I just want to talk to you. Whatever's happening here is extremely dangerous. It's almost as if the universe itself has been knocked off balance. I had no idea who this guy was, but he clearly wasn't with the police. He was too mousy, too frightened. I paused before stepping into my house. Really? That's odd. I didn't feel anything. I began to close the door. The guy lit up at my momentary decision to engage him. Wait! He exclaimed as he jammed an arm inside my house to prevent me from closing the door completely. Most people can't feel the fissures that knock the universe off balance, but I can. And from what I can tell, whatever happened emanated from here. It's like following the cracks in a window back to the point where it got hit by a rock. It took me a few days to find it. His eyes did a sweep of the area to confirm his theory. But this is the spot. Fissures? In the universe? He nodded. Yes, that's the easiest way to explain it without going too into detail. Time for you to go. This is your last warning before I call the police. He looked me up and down, trying to get a read on me. I don't think you're going to call the police at all. I think you want nothing to do with them, he said, as some sort of inner confidence began to emerge. Okay, well maybe I won't waste their time. Maybe I'll just snap your little neck and bury you in my yard. That was probably the more realistic of the two threats, but still a bluff. The man gulped, but stayed his course. I just want to talk to you for a few minutes. No, I said as I shoved his arm out of the doorway and slammed the door shut. I stayed in my living room, peering out at the man through my curtains. He stood on my doorstep for a couple of minutes, I guess with the hope that I would reemerge. Finally, he retreated into a sedan parked on the street where he just sat and watched my house. Bastard. This was a disturbing new development, but I was determined to spend one last day with my son, and nothing was going to stop me. Not the little mousy man, not some invisible moronic fissures knocking the universe off balance. Nothing. I'm not sure what time I went to sleep, but at four in the morning I was woken by the sound of two men yelling outside of my house. One of the voices belonged to Emmett. I shot up out of bed and ran downstairs to my living room window where I could get a good look outside. There I saw Mouse Man from the night before standing outside of his car, apparently trying to calm Emmett down. I flung my front door open and ran outside. Emmett! I called out. It's okay. Emmett diverted his attention from Mouse Man and turned toward me. It's not right, he said. Things aren't okay. I glared at Mouse Man. What did you do to him? I didn't do anything, he replied. I fell asleep in my car and the next thing I knew, he was out here pounding on my windows. He took a long look at Emmett. But I think I know what's wrong with him. Wait here, I said to Mouse Man as I began leading Emmett back to his house. Come on, Emmett. It'll be okay. You just need to rest. I gently put my arm around him and walked him to his house. The front door had been left open, so I called out to Mona, who came running in her nightgown when she heard my voice. Emmett, what are you doing? 
Whatever fugue he might have been in seemed to recede when he heard Mona's voice. Mona, he said weakly. Help me get to bed, please. Mona put her arm around him and slowly led him back into their bedroom. A minute later, she returned. What happened? I could ask you the same thing. I woke up with him yelling in front of my house. He seemed okay last night. I thought he had recovered from whatever had been affecting him. Other than the cuts on his legs and arms, they didn't find anything wrong with him at the emergency room. Well, he seems okay for the moment. Keep an eye on him, and I'll check back with you in a bit. I stormed away from Emmett and Mona's house with determined steps, intent on going back to Mouse Man and throttling him until I got some answers. Get inside, I said as I passed by him and went into my house. He followed me obediently. Once we were both inside, I slammed the door. Talk. What the hell is happening to him? Mouse Man thought for a moment, carefully contemplating his words. It's like this, he said. There are certain people like me who can see and feel the fabric of the universe, so to speak. Your neighbor, Emmett, is it? I think he's someone like me, maybe just not as strong. First of all, he's not just my neighbor, I said as I jabbed him in the chest. He's one of my best friends. He was my son's godfather, for Christ's sake. He's never mentioned any of this fabric of the universe shit to me. Mouse Man shook his head. He doesn't even know what he's capable of. Like I said, his ability isn't as strong as mine. The only reason he's feeling these effects at all is because he's right next door to whatever's happening. If he lived further away, he would probably be fine. It seems like for the first time in his life, he's feeling the pull of these events. It's been stretching his mind and warping his reality. His brain doesn't know what to make of it. He's confused, mixed up. Will he get better? Yes, I think so. His mind just needs some rest and some time to sort things out. A couple of weeks, maybe. I paused to contemplate what Mouse Man had been saying. Apparently, whatever was affecting him, it was my fault. I turned my attention back to Mouse Man. Who exactly are you? I asked. My name's Gantry. I volunteered to come here to see what was happening. Volunteered? Yes, there's a whole group of us. Nothing official, just a loose collection of people who had the gift for seeing through the veil. There's a bunch of us all over the world, and we all felt that something was wrong. But I happened to live closest, so that's why I came to check it out. Well, Gantry, you can go and tell all your little friends that this will all be over soon enough. Uh, please, whatever you're doing, stop. There's some very powerful magic at work here. And serious consequences for these sort of things. Gantry glanced around at the decorations on my wall, taking advantage of his time inside to try and learn a little bit about me, it seemed. He walked over to a plaque on the wall wiped the dust off, and started reading the inscription. For courage and bravery above and beyond the call of duty, given on this day by the Los Angeles County Fire Department and the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors. He looked back at me. Wow, you're a hero. Don't sully it. 
He caught me off guard. That was a long time ago. I was different back then. I had a family, a job, and I don't think you need to know anything more about me. You can get out now. Gantry took one last look at the pictures on my wall. Pictures of Frederick mostly and then left. Whatever wackadoo bullshit Gantry was peddling didn't concern me, except for the part about Emmett. I planned to go through with my final killing and spend one last day with my boy and give him a proper goodbye. But I had to make sure that Emmett was nowhere nearby when that happened. I spoke with Mona the next day and convinced her to take Emmett on a weekend getaway. He needs to relax, I explained to her. Take him down to the coast and get some sun. Mona, who was worried and desperate, agreed. The next thing I had to do was come up with a plan for killing Jackson Rose, the despicable piece of dirt standing between me and my final day with my son. I spent the day silently following him. My conclusion was that it would be best to kill him in his driveway, just like I had done with Aiden Halford. The whole time, I kept a cautious eye out for Gantry. He was an insignificant speck of a man, but I didn't want to underestimate him. Luckily for him, he didn't pop up on my radar, so I continued with my plan. I arrived at Jackson Rose's home just after sunset. I parked a few streets away and walked to his house. I'd made sure to leave my cell phone at home so that its location couldn't be traced. All my tracks were covered, and if everything worked out, I could never be placed at the scene of the murder. I waited patiently in a dark corner, and within an hour I heard the raucous sound of a way-too-loud car stereo working its way down the street. This guy, most likely driving on a suspended license, seemed to have no discretion whatsoever. He parked his car along the curb in front of his house and slammed his door. As he walked past, I stepped slowly out of the shadows, emerging behind him unnoticed. Carefully, I pulled a piece of cord from my pocket and stalked up behind him. As he stepped up to his porch, I reached up over him with both arms and pulled the cord back against his throat. His hands shot up to try and pull the cord free, but I summoned as much strength out of my arms as possible, and I could hear his larynx cracking under the pressure. His next move was to reach back with his hands and try to gouge my eyes and scratch my face. He found a little more success this time, landing a big scratch running from my eye to my chin. This only infuriated me and gave me reason to hate him more. I yanked the cord even tighter as the dumb bastard tried and failed to breathe. I'm not sure how long we stayed in that position, seemingly forever, but it was probably just a couple of minutes. His throat cracked one last time as I lowered his limp body to the ground. Time to get out of here, I thought. I receded back into the shadows and returned to my car. A half hour later, I was outside the restaurant. At this time of night, it was full of diners, so I didn't bother to enter. Through the window, I was able to make eye contact with Gabriella as she carried plates filled with steaming tacos and burritos. She barely paused as she gave me a slight nod of acknowledgement. I nodded back, then left. I felt good about myself, 
right up to the point when I saw that fool gantry standing on the sidewalk right next to where my car was parked, staring at me. I stepped up to him and wrenched him toward me by his shirt. You little prick! Did you follow me? Gantry's voice wavered. I, I didn't follow you. It was more of an educated guess where you'd be. I pulled him closer with my anger clouding my judgment as people on the sidewalk stopped to stare. I guess? That's a pretty good excuse. How did you know? I glanced around at the gawkers. Get in the car, I commanded him. Once we were in the car, Gantry nervously opened up. We were able to hack your phone and check the places you've visited. This is the only place you've been to more than once, aside from your home. I figured you'd show up here again eventually. My first reaction was an overwhelming wave of anger. Anger at the fact that Gantry and his little cronies would have had the balls to hack into my phone. But an instant later, that was tempered by a sense of relief since I'd been careful enough to leave my phone at home every time I murdered someone. I thought I would be protecting myself from the police, but it turned out it also may have protected me from this group that Gantry ran with. They most likely didn't know how far I'd gone. Just who is this loose collection of people you're a part of? Like I said, we're just a group of like-minded individuals, nothing official. But some of us are pretty smart. Once we had your name and address, finding out all about you wasn't too difficult. Yeah, well, you don't know everything. We will, soon enough. I calculated my odds of killing Gantry and getting away with it. Not good. Instead, I began driving to my home in silence, thinking of my next move, with Gantry along for the ride whether he wanted to be or not. Keeping your friends close and your enemies closer... He didn't complain. After several minutes of awkward silence, Gantry cleared his throat. <clears throat> it must have been hard coming upon the scene of that accident. What accident? I asked, even though I already knew exactly what he meant. Gantry was poking the bear with a stick. He didn't seem to understand how close I was to reaching over and snapping his little fucking neck. Your son and your wife... You were on duty when they crashed, got the call, and went out there with your engine company. Didn't know it was them until you pulled up. Your son was already dead. I gripped the steering wheel until it bent in my hands. Somehow, I kept the car driving straight. Your wife survived, but your marriage didn't. She left you a year later. I turned. No! I made her leave! It was her goddamn fault. She ran the red light. She was the one not paying attention. Frederick died because of her. I got to say goodbye to her, but not to him. I see, Gantry said. Is that what this is all about? Your wife? Your son? Damn it. Gantry had used an emotional crowbar and pried me open like a cheap wooden crate. I could feel my heart slamming against my ribcage as my vision blurred. He finally seemed to sense that maybe he'd gone a little too far and changed his tack. That waitress back at the restaurant, I think she possesses the Periculo Manus. The Hand of Danger. It's that stone she wears around her neck. 
He looked at me, trying to gauge my reaction, but I was back in control of my emotions. He continued, There's maybe five objects in the entire world with enough power to unbalance the universe this much. The Paraculomanus is one of them. It's been missing for 60 years until now. Never heard of it. And most people wouldn't have unless they're interested in that sort of thing. But now that I've mentioned it, you know what I'm talking about. After all, you've been texting her. Great. They didn't just have the locations of where my phone had been, but also my text messages. There was nothing to be gained by responding to any more of his provocations. So I took a deep breath and simply drove. I had to admit, Gantry and his crew were good at what they did. If they were the police, I'd have been screwed. Maybe I was screwed anyway. It didn't really matter. All I cared about at that moment was my last day with my son, which would be happening shortly. Anything after that was meaningless. Gantry's gaze fell upon the lines of my face that had grown so much deeper over the previous few years. What they told him, I don't know. He finally broke the silence. The Paraculomanus was last known to have been in the possession of a man named Tentinum, who was responsible for the deaths of thousands of people. Yeah, I don't care. Gantry ignored me and continued. You see, the hand grants many different abilities to its holder, but Tentinum was most interested in the ability to influence people, to bring out the worst in them and make them do things they might not have otherwise done. He created psychopaths, serial killers, all sorts of homicidal maniacs who spewed death upon the land. Of course, none of the murders could actually be traced back to him, at least not by your typical Johnny Law type, because Tentinum never killed anyone himself. It's a very fascinating story, actually. He was starting to agitate me again. I glanced down at my hands, which only an hour earlier had been wrapped around the throat of Jackson Rose, the third person I'd killed. Anyway, Gantry continued, to make a very long story short, it became obvious to some people what Tentinum was doing. I mean, if you study the occult, these things jump out at you when you see them. So a group of people got together and hunted Tentinum down. Not all of them survived, of course, but when they finally got to him, they killed him. And then they tried to burn his body, but it wouldn't burn. So instead, they tore it to pieces and buried them all in different parts of the world. Just because they were so scared that somehow he'd return. As for the hand, it was never recovered. Tentinum didn't have it on him when they finally caught up to him. It just seemed to disappear. And this group of people who killed Tentinum, this is the same group you're a part of? Oh, so you do care, Gantry said as if he had scored some points in a non-existent game. But to answer your question, no. They were mostly just regular people with regular lives. Once he was gone, there was nothing really holding them together as a group. But their story stayed alive, and it's been passed down. I only care about your bullshit stories up to the point where they help me figure out who you are. 
Nothing less, nothing more. You want to know who I am? I'm someone who's concerned about what's been going on, especially now that I know the Periculomanus is involved. Do you know how dangerous that thing is? It feeds on death. The more death that surrounds it, the more powerful it becomes. The more powerful it becomes, the more death it causes. Its power to destroy can become virtually unlimited. Quite a vicious cycle, don't you think? I caught the reflection of my face in the rearview mirror, complete with the bloody scratch running down my cheek. Was that the face of a truly guilty man? All I really wanted was some more time with my son. Just stop talking, I told Gantry. A few minutes later, I arrived at my house. I made a nodding motion toward the passenger door, inviting Gantry to get the heck out of my car once it stopped. He got the message and stepped out. Don't come back. I warned him as I locked the car and walked away. I didn't even glance back to see where the damn twerp wandered off to. There was no point in letting him think I cared. The next day, Frederick would be returned to me. That's all that mattered. As I tried to fall asleep that night, one thing Gantry spoke of kept me up. The Paraculomanus had the ability to influence people and bring out the worst in them. I grabbed my phone off my dresser and scrolled through the text messages I had exchanged with Gabriella. I went to the beginning, back to the time when she was just a stranger who contacted me completely out of the blue. I read that first text again. Sad? Miserable? I can help. The weird part is that I responded to it, to a text from an unknown person I had never met before. No matter. By that point, I was physically tired and emotionally drained. No more thoughts for me that night. I tossed my phone aside and let sleep find me. I had no big plans for the following day. No zoo, no amusement park, nothing. By this point, I'd learned that it would be safest to stay at home. We would play games and have fun with just each other. Frederick would return to me as a four-year-old, which would be the perfect age for me to remember the shape of his face when he smiled. If I could just burn his smile into my memory, then everything would be worth it. I woke up in the morning to the sight of my beautiful child and gave him a big hug. The morning went great. Breakfast, games. I even let him watch a little TV, just so I could study his face and remember his features as he giggled at his shows. He had fish sticks for lunch and as much candy as he wanted once he was done with that. After lunch, we played with his car collection and then drew pictures. I was so engrossed in what we were doing that I almost didn't even notice when there was movement outside the living room window. That bastard gantry was peering inside. I walked over to the door and flung it open, only to see a pale-looking gantry staring back at me. I started to berate him. Look here, you goddamn piece of sh He vomited on my porch before I could finish. I moved my feet to avoid the oncoming flood that was spreading over the ground. He wiped his face clean with his sleeve. <laughs> it's happening again. I can feel it. Whatever it is you're doing, 
You have to stop. Jeez, don't you have a home? What do I need to do to get rid of you? Just hear me out, he panted. We figured it out last night. It took some digging and some major hacking, but we know who the waitress is and why she has the periculo. I don't care, I said as I slammed the door shut. She's the granddaughter of Tentanum, he shouted through the door. She's dangerous. I didn't respond, and eventually he wandered away from the house when it became clear I wasn't going to engage him any further. I went back to Frederick. My time with him was ticking down, and I didn't want to let Gantry waste any of it. Whatever concerns he'd raised about Gabriella didn't matter since I wasn't planning on utilizing her services any further. Even I knew when enough was enough. Do you want to play a game? I asked Frederick. Can we play memory? Of course we can, I said. We played and I rubbed his head and congratulated him when he beat me. But as our games and fun continued, the clock on the wall kept ticking. As the day wound down, it soon became time for Frederick's bath, which had always been one of his favorite parts of his day. I set him up in the tub with a whole set of new bath toys that I had ordered for him. I laughed at how cute he was, splashing around with all his toys, but my laughter was interrupted when I received a text from Mona. Emma is gone. I took a nap, and when I woke up, he wasn't in our hotel room. I've been out looking for him, but no luck. I'm really worried. I nearly responded to her, but I didn't want to give Gantry and his group of hackers anything else to read. Once my day was done, I would go look for him. Frederick took a long bath, and when he finally got out, I dressed him in his pajamas. We still had a little time left, so I let him pick out a movie to watch before bed. Then, as we sat down on the couch, I heard a sound in the kitchen. Someone was rummaging through one of the drawers. I quickly shot up and darted to the kitchen, cursing the fact that somehow my day with Frederick was being interrupted yet again. I made it to the kitchen to see Emmett, who had apparently entered through the back door, holding a steak knife he had fished from the drawer. Whoa, Emmett, I said, trying to calm both him and myself. Emmett stared straight ahead without any sort of acknowledgement toward me. No, he said as he shook his head. No. What are you talking about, Emmett? You can't, he said. Before I could even respond, Emmett lunged at me with surprising speed and strength. Now, I'm a big guy, but somehow Emmett was able to knock me backwards as he ran into the living room. I fell to the floor as I heard Frederick screaming. In a panic, I righted myself and ran to Frederick, only to see that Emmett was holding him up with a knife to his throat. It's okay, Emmett, I said with a calmness that I didn't truly feel. Let's get you back home. Emmett just shook his head. Don't you feel it? It's not right. Emmett, please put the knife down, I pleaded. I could feel the beads of sweat beginning to coalesce on my brow. That's Frederick. I know you don't really want to hurt him. Without another word, Emmett plunged the steak knife into Frederick's throat as red blood began to flow from the wound. I lunged forward, screaming at Emmett to stop as I collided with both of them. 
Emmett fell backwards to the living room floor as he lost his grasp on Frederick, who fell onto the couch. The next few minutes are hard for me to remember. My training kicked in and I switched to autopilot as I tended to Frederick's wounds. There was a great deal of blood, but I could still feel a strong pulse in his neck. Somewhere along the line, I called 911, though I barely recall doing so. A few minutes later, we left in an ambulance with me by Frederick's side as the EMTs worked to keep him stable. Meanwhile, I could hear great rumbles of thunder rolling over the sky as lightning flashed through the ambulance windows. The driver couldn't seem to stop commenting on the freaky weather that had appeared out of nowhere. The fact that it was just about time for Frederick to disappear certainly didn't escape me, yet somehow he remained, damaged but present. Frederick was admitted to the hospital for overnight observation. Amazingly, his jugular hadn't been severed and a full recovery was expected. There were a ton of questions, of course. I answered them all. Frederick really shouldn't have been playing with that knife, I told the doctor. It was an awful mistake on my part that wouldn't be repeated. Then I said the same thing to the police officer who responded. And then I said it to the social worker as well. Why they believed me, I don't know, or even really care. It was morning before I finally started to regain some sense of myself. Even though I'd been awake all night by Frederick's bedside, I seemed to have a renewed sense of clarity. Frederick was still with me. For whatever reason, it seemed he had been returned to me for good. For a while, I didn't even think about the others. Emmett? I'm not even 100% sure what the hell happened to him after I knocked him to the ground. I vaguely remember him somewhat regaining his senses and crawling out of the house before the ambulance got there. Gabriella? What's left to say about her? I texted her to see if she could shed some light on what the hell was going on. She never wrote back. I visited her restaurant one last time and she wasn't there. She's gone. Who even cares? Once it became clear to me that Frederick was here to stay, I really didn't need her anyway. I wish I could say that Gantry disappeared too, but that pencil-necked little bastard showed up again, and with the same whiny little complaints about the universe being off balance. What does that even mean? One day, not too long after I'd brought Frederick home from the hospital, I glanced out of my living room window and saw him looking over the fence to my backyard, where Frederick was playing. I went outside and approached him from behind. He was so engrossed in watching Frederick on his swing set that he didn't even hear me until I cleared my throat and spoke. If I see you here again, I'll kill you. I had my hands raised up, ready to wrap them around his throat if he said even the slightest wrong thing. He turned to look at me. That's not your son. Of course that's my son, and I don't want you bothering us any further. I finally figured out what you were doing. It's been said that one of the powers of the hand was bringing back the dead for a day. You used it for your son. You and your hacker buddies need to die. Leave us alone. I cracked my knuckles, wanting nothing more than to wrap my hands around his throat and end his life. 
I probably would have done it if we hadn't been outside in the open. You've unleashed something, and you have no idea what you've done. Don't you understand? Your son had to be returned to the past. But his body couldn't be sent back with a stab wound on his neck. Instead, a duplicate was created in his place, and only his soul returned. Meanwhile, his broken body stayed here. It was an empty vessel just waiting for something to inhabit it. And something did. Something got through all the cracks. I stepped closer to Gantry, my fists clenched and shaken. He understood the thread as he stepped away from the fence. I'll go if you insist, but just remember that's not your son. Not anymore. I only wish I could have done something to stop this. He started walking away. But in his typical fashion, he just had to get one more thing in. Oh, there have been a few murders around here lately. He paused to gauge my reaction, but I gave him nothing. Do you know how they're related? They were all grandchildren of the people who killed Tentinum. I just stared at him, and that was the end of the conversation. As he walked away, I resisted the urge to reach out and slam him to the ground. I just wanted to get on top of him and strangle him until he was nothing more than a limp sack of blood and bones. It would have felt so good, but I just barely held off this time. Once I was back inside my living room, I stood there with a smile as I looked outside and watched Frederick play. He really loved the new swing set I'd bought for him. Next to the swing set stood a brand new clubhouse that he liked to play in. Next to the clubhouse stood a new climbing structure. And right next to that, that's the spot in the planter bed where we buried the kitten I'd bought for him. Unfortunately, the kitten didn't last more than a day. When I saw Frederick carrying around its limp body and I asked him what happened, he just laughed hysterically and then said he had shaken it too hard. That's okay. I guess he just wasn't ready for that kind of responsibility. I'm sure it was only an accident, and I know he'll be more careful in the future. The important thing is that I have my son back. I won. I looked the universe in the eye, and the goddamn universe blinked. And now, I'll do anything to protect him, to allow him to grow up and reach his full potential. Whatever that may be. And that was And the Universe Blinked by author Thomas O. A good reminder that everyone's got something they'd kill for. Hopefully, you'll never have to kill for it. A little about the author. Thomas O. likes dogs, the ocean, and creepy stories. He's the author of two books on Amazon published by Velox Books, The Seer of Possibilities and Face Down in the Grave, both available on Amazon and Audible.com. Thanks, Thomas. And a friendly reminder to check out our pals from Velox on VeloxBooks.com. They specialize in all the stuff you come here for. 
independent horror stories with that creepy pasta flavor you love. Be sure and give them a peek. And do old Drew Blood a favor, would you? Subscribe to his podcast wherever you do your listening and leave him a five-star review and a kind word, even if you're listening on YouTube. He needs soldiers on all fronts to win this battle, and he appreciates it. To hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all the other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click Patrons in the upper menu. You'll find yourself at ChillinTalesForDarkNights.com where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to their entire audio archive, all ad-free and available to download or stream. Thank you for your time and for supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you support this show. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all the latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with them each and every week. Oh, and you can find Drew Blood on Facebook and Instagram, and sometimes Twitter. The Drew Blood's Dark Tales podcast is accepting submissions, friend. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on the show, send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment, 10 bananas. Well, I'm afraid this is where we part ways, at least till next week. So grab a drink for the road, friends. And if you see hotshot Billy Blanks out there, tell him as soon as I get my own aerobics video going, his little enterprise is fucked. I'm not bitter. I'd like to give a big hello to Nina and her brother, Ronnie. Hey, Nina. Hey, Ronnie. I hope y'all are doing well out there. Thanks for listening. So, Nina and Ronnie, may the wind be at your back, and may the road rise up to meet you. May the cat eat you, and may the devil eat the cat. And may you all go fuck yourselves. (laughs) I love you all. Good night, friends. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.